I think sometimes empathy and more sensitivity is conveyed as a bad thing, where people are afraid that showing this emotional vulnerability shows weakness. But I think as demonstrated in the play, it showed strength against for, for standing up against hegemonies that are harmful to underprivileged people. Okay, today on the podcast, we have Audrey Stan Kunis. She is a current senior at GHS, and she has a mom that many people will know at GES. She is crazy busy. She's in the middle of visiting colleges, and so we are super happy that she took time out to visit with us today, and I think that's a really cool place to start. Um, What does that process look like? Where are you going? How do you visit colleges? What did you pick? What kind of things did you do to prep? What's the SAT, ACT? And my mind just starts spinning even thinking about all that. So uh, walk us through that process a little bit. Absolutely. It's such a mind-boggling process with all of the different things that you have to keep track of. So I'm sure even some of you who might be listening might be starting to get stressed even when you aren't even in high school, which that's how I was. But really how I found my attitude towards college selection is it should be more, I guess, retroactive in that sense. Like, I just, with all the clubs that I've been interested in doing, I choose them because I'm interested in them. And then I found, hey, this really incorporates into a narrative well with my entire application Hmm. that is then conveyed well to colleges. Now, I just started applying, so I haven't heard back from any, but with my interviews with different colleges, they have been receptive to what I've done. So, And so it really was a process of like, these are the things that I'm interested in and that I've enjoyed over my, my tenure here at GHS and GMS, and then how do those things align with yes. like what colleges offer? Like yes. That was your approach? That was my approach, because sometimes you kind of want to tailor I guess the instinct is to tailor yourself to a specific school, maybe because of prestige. Be like, oh, I really want to go to Yale, and I know people who go to Yale, they do this, this, and this. But really, I found that colleges don't want someone to just check off the boxes. They want to find someone who really fits into their community. And with the holistic process that many colleges have with their applications, they really try to take into consideration who you are and what you have done and how it will blend with the rest of the campus how did you how did you narrow like i'm just there are so many there there are universities that i haven't even heard of and so how do you begin to narrow that down to then see if they align with the things that you're interested in well starting off there are a few platforms where you can take like i guess tests it's kind of weird the counseling office has them where you check off the values that you have and like I want a smaller school I want to be in maybe like a colder environment while some people want a giant party school and that's um, maybe in the south so limiting by region has been especially helpful in also programs so I want to study international relations and computer science but I've also had an interest in engineering so schools that offer both the combination of those and having an engineering school has really filtered it down to a specific list 
That's mm. close. Yeah, I love that. Um, something you said that I wanted to backtrack to, and and I don't, I don't, I'm beginning to understand this more as I do my digging, and I don't yes. think everyone understands that. A lot of people think I need to be incredibly diverse in my exposure and interests, and and they think that's what a college is looking for. And and please correct me, as because you, you're in the throes of this, <laughs> but they they do love that diversity and that you have a variety of interests. But the college itself is going to look to diversify the campus. They actually want people who are really in the weeds on some things because those are the kids who are going to show up and be active and change makers on campus. Absolutely. Well. I've kind of heard of the metaphor of either a spiky student or a round student. And there are spiky students who are really interested in really niche topics. And there are more round students who are dabbling a bit of everything. And colleges are looking for a mix of both. And even if you have those interests where you are really spiky on, such as myself with transportation, I've done a lot of research and a lot of initiatives with transportation-related issues. But I also have those round parts, such as drama, tennis, all of the well-rounded things that you would think of someone. So it's that combination of just trying to pursue what you're actually interested in has been a real game changer for me because I know a few people who are just trying to check off things for college apps. Man, and if you think about that, it really is this metaphor for life in that you, you want to have a diverse set of interests because that's what enables you to be a social creature and interact with yes. other people and share an experience. But you also want to have your thing. Like you want to have that thing that you're deeply on the weeds on. So that makes a lot of sense. How about the, the ACT, SAT? Um, I hear rumblings about, you know, that maybe they're not as important or they still as important. Like what has that been like for you in the college process? That has been quite an adventure. Starting off with the ACT, I took my first ACT test my freshman year, which was super early and a lot of other people I know didn't start until junior year. So it's all about where you kind of want to get started on these things. I took my first test freshman year and I didn't I did all right, but I I think I improved my score seven points over the time of taking tests. So I've taken the ACT three times and the SAT once, and I took the PSAT twice. So there are a lot of standardized tests, but colleges I've found you are now adopting more of the test optional policy or even like a test blind policy where you can choose to take it and it will reflect well if your score is above their median or their range, I guess. But if you choose to not submit your scores, that will not be counted against you. So, And you think that's like, that's that's a legitimate, that they really aren't counting against you? Or do you think that's just what they're saying and then they're maybe in the background? I've heard working? it, well... When it comes to talking to admissions counselors, they have said that it will not be counted against you. But I've heard rumblings that you should probably still submit it. But the one thing that I found is interesting, sometimes people, especially from rural schools, will be less likely to submit their scores because they're like, oh, I got a 27 in the school's mean um, ACT score is, say, a 30. But when the colleges look at your you in your circumstances, they will realize this score is actually very exceptional for the environment. Mm. So they will take into account your school's profile. So I think in that sense, they are still encouraging people 
to submit the scores if they're proud of it. It's such nonsense, but yeah. um, what a time. I, and, I, and I think I heard you interviewed at Princeton recently. I did. So could you tell us about that? Was that like a, a first round? Was that in person? Was it a Zoom call? Like what, what was that process? So I had an alumni interview, which was different than the other interview that I've had, which was for William & Mary, and that was with just a senior student and they just talked to me about like student life and a little bit about myself but my Princeton alumni interview was with a alum who was born and raised in Logan Ohio so for alumni interviews they really tried to make the interviewer resemble the applicant which is really interesting. That's really cool. So we yeah. were like, Ohio, yeah. which was fun because a lot of times people at super prestigious universities, the stigma is that it's just a bunch of East Coast private school people. But this, he, my interviewer, he w- played golf at Princeton. He was born in um, Logan, went to Logan High School, and now is a lawyer in Columbus. So he came back to Columbus. So he just asked me questions about my life, and he told me about his, and it was just more getting to know um, the perspectives of how an Ohioan views going to New Jersey. Yeah, I, I, I have a son at home who is convinced that he's going to Harvard. Yes. So uh, whether that plays out or not, and, and the trajectory of that will be fun to watch. But um, it's an interesting, I mean, I growing up, I never had any, I, I was the first person in my co- my family to go to college. And so I never had any gr- grand ideals about mm-hmm. like I was going to go to an Ivy wasn't even a thought. So it's interesting hearing your path and journey where sounds like it was a pretty early on decision of something you have been thinking about and planning for. Uh, to get to where you are right now, yes. actually making that decision. Highly selective admissions are its own set of things, but I'm definitely looking at other schools that are not Ivies. So I've tried to, and I love all the schools that are on my list. Like I love UVA, which is an incredible institution too, but it's just public. It's and a, it's a, a public in, incredible, yeah, public <laughs> so institution great. though, incredibly competitive mm-hmm. and, and really, I mean, beautiful campus. Oh, so gorgeous. Sure. And then Wellesley um, in Massachusetts, which is an all-women's school. So I'm kind of just dabbling in all sorts of places. But Is it an enjoyable process at this point? More stressful, more enjoyable? I think it's stressful, but I think through the essay process, I've learned a lot about myself. Like, there are a lot of questions that are about your values. And I guess before now, I hadn't written it all down. I love Ooh. that. No, I love that, though. Yeah. Um, we, we probably don't ask people yeah. that enough, even of ourselves, of like, you know, what do you care about? What do you value? What, what's your core beliefs and ethics? And Absolutely. It's like for one of my Princeton questions, it was like, what brings you joy? And you had to answer it in 50 words. Wow. Yeah. So it was just an experience. All right, cool. So let's let's move on to our second question here. Sounds good. Um, I recently um, had the pleasure of watching you and 11 other, I guess there were 12 other because there was the guard as well, um, GHS students in 12 Angry Jurors, which is the adaptation from the original uh, 1957 tra- 12 Angry Men. Um, interesting, like historically, you have the Civil Rights Act uh, being passed in 1957, which gave women... Uh, which is why the the, the original uh, came out at that time, but gave women the ability to to serve on federal juries. 
Um, and then it wasn't until 1973 that that was in all 50 states. And so your production of this had um, half of the jurors women and half of the jurors men. And my I was there with my sixth grader uh, son, and, and he, he kind of pointed this out to me. Um, and, and he said it in a, a much more sixth grader way, but pretty innocent uh, recognition that he thought that the women were the ones who were speaking out for um, for the, the man who was on trial, and they seemed more empathetic, and that they were the ones who were really being thoughtful, and that the men seemed to be a little more typecast as you know angry, aggressive, and they had their minds made up and prejudicial. And so I was just curious to hear um, your thoughts on that. I'm sure there was lots of conversations um, in, in the production and, and in acting it out, and um, what that was like for you and, and what intent was there. Yeah, I think in casting, some of that was intentional. Now, when it comes to the actual script, I feel like the empathetic people were the most marginalized, which sort of was conveyed through the female characters. So if I'd say that juror number eight and juror number nine were immediately, and I played juror number nine, which was an elderly woman, and both of them were women who were initially drawn towards the boy's case and wondering maybe if justice had not been adequately served to this boy due to his circumstances, while a lot of the men who were characters in more privileged environments were coming up with their biases. One of the other empathetic characters was juror number five, and he was from a poorer background, and he really identified with the boy himself. So I thought that was an interesting perspective where he placed himself in the boy's shoes by saying he was just like the boy and how he grew up in a similar neighborhood. So it was definitely an interesting adaptation to involve women in women characters in the play. And I think it worked out well. Yeah, so if I'm remembering correctly, juror number five, um, he seemed much more, he, he, he seemed to lack a little bit of confidence yes. and much more subdued. And, um, you know, when you think about being marginalized and you think about, like, we are all products of our of our environment and character. And I like the fact that he, you know, through the growth of that play in that moment and hearing the other jurors stand up, that he was able to find that, yes. that courage and find a voice. Um, and then for your character, I'm, I'm curious, like, so not only is she female at the time, which would be marginalized, but she's also elderly, which, you know, they're also another marginalized yes. commuter. So she's kind of doubly marginalized. Um, and, and she did find her voice, but she also would be coming historically, you know, 30 more years back of facing yes. prejudice. And um, I wonder, did you, playing that character, does that, like, do you get into that role? Does that change your perspective? Does that give you some lens to look through that maybe you hadn't prior? Oh, absolutely. I've found myself over the course of the production becoming more passionate and more sensitive about certain issues, such as a book that we were talking about in my English class. I just found myself sort of saying things like my character would say, like, um, dishonesty is not a group characteristic. And I found myself getting into that frame of mind, both on stage and off the stage, with really thinking about my own life and my own background and how that affects my ideals i mean what a i mean it's so reference the portrait of a graduate traits here yes. like empathy is is on there and I, I really do elevate those things because they came from our community um you know what an empathetic 
trait that if we could all try to shift our lens and look at the world through how someone else is experiencing it. So I love that like you find yourself saying these these yes. these expressions that like maybe an elderly lady might say <laughs> who has more experience and um, you know what a powerful powerful thing. And I think sometimes empathy and more sensitivity is conveyed as a bad thing where people are afraid that showing this emotional vulnerability shows weakness. But I think as demonstrated in the play, it showed strength against for for standing up against hegemonies that are harmful to underprivileged people. Yeah. And I, and I think I mean, I think our world is making that shift that I think, you know, what the play um, projected out was that the, the calmer, empathetic, thoughtful perspective and voice won out in the end and the other voice that was just loud and angry um everyone eventually disassociated with that they were like wait nope that's not who i want to be um i don't want to be grouped with that that perspective um and so i I think we're we're getting better at that and that's that's from like as a from a dad's perspective trying to raise two boys who feel comfortable expressing their emotions being empathetic telling people how they're feeling um I, I, I still think we have a ways to go, though, as a culture. I think some of those uh, stereotypes still are predominant. And so then that's my, my, follow, my follow-up question is, do you have any advice, you know, playing that role, um, um, being a woman who is, who's navigated school and you're applying for, you know, any advice to other girls who are coming behind you of, like, how do you navigate that world? Because it still is an imperfect place and, and process. I would say to know the value of your own voice and that you can create change among things, even just as youth in general. A lot of times it seems like young women in particular don't have any voice in the world and can't enact any change, but there is there are opportunities where you can and you are important and your perspectives are important. Well said, for sure. And, and embrace it that it's like it's necessary. It's not only important, yes. like we need it. Like we yes. need that voice for sure. Um, okay, so the next question. Um, you've been insanely busy over your four years at GHS, and some of that was at GMS that you carried forward. Um, competitive robotics team, which you actually came and worked with my Lego robotics team, which was super fun. So I appreciate that. You've been an Envirothon. You've been a class officer. You've been involved in other plays, and, and including the one that was most recently. You were competitively swimming. You were playing tennis. Um, when I think about all of that, you know, I, I become a little overwhelmed. And so um, I'd love to know how you decide what it is that you're going to be involved in, and then how do you balance that to make sure – like well, and and obviously we we talked about the schools you're applying for, so you have to make sure your 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 academic life is still in check. But then also just you know you know mental health is a huge concern. Like how do you balance all that and make sure that you're not taking on more than you can just you know personally handle? Well, in middle school, I was definitely in everything, and it was funny. Sometimes people were like, "Oh, you're in every page of the yearbook," and I was like. And I didn't make the yearbook, too. So <laughs> I was a little crazy then with trying to be in every certain thing. And I've carried that ambition throughout my high school career. But I found that it's more important to do the things that you're really passionate about than to just have a leadership role in something that you aren't that passionate about and to be super busy and have be so sporadic. And I found that 
when I am super sporadic and everywhere at once, I can't focus on the important things and then that actually damages my ability to succeed. So throughout my high school, high school career, I've really tried to cut back more, which is saying something, but like I've stepped away from certain things that I've really loved to prioritize other ones, such as I am this year not doing robotics anymore, which makes me very sad, but I noticed that as the lead builder on my team, a lot of the younger kids were shyer and not as confident with their own abilities because they just were like, oh, Audrey will do it. But that's not sustainable. So I've stepped away from that and now other people are growing in their own abilities. So it's important to have balance within your own extracurriculars and to realize that sometimes it's best to not do it all so that other people can learn and to grow. As a, as a middle school teacher, um, that progression seems really normal to me, but I'd love to hear if you think that actually does make sense that in middle school you might try a lot of different things, and then as you get you know older and you're moving into high school, you, you get to figure out like what things are your thing, and then maybe you do diversify a little less and specialize a little bit more. Does that seem like a, yes, a good trajectory? that sounds like a perfect tra- trajectory, and even in high school, I've suggested to a lot of my underclassmen friends, whether they're freshmen or sophomores, say like, join as many clubs as you feel interest you, and then you can always step away from them. Because once you get so into a club and you develop a leadership perspective, you are not, it's not as easy to leave that institution and sometimes you can get trapped in it. So. In your first years in middle school and as an underclassman, try everything, get to know what you like, but then you can specialize more and prioritize yourself and your own happiness. Yeah, I like that. So I know you do, uh, just through talking with you, you recently um, went on a, a trip to Mexico. You would, uh, Your Lego team had gone earlier when you were a middle schooler, but you missed out on that opportunity because you were at Owl Camp, um, but you recently went with... Um, some friends of yours that kind of put your own STEM trip together. So could you tell us a little bit about that? Yes, it was phenomenal. We visited the town of Tepitzitlan and worked with a primary school there. And all of the kids were in an English class, but they knew very little English. And personally, myself, I've taken French and Spanish. I know very French and Latin. I do not take Spanish. So I knew very little Spanish, but I taught the coding portion of the STEM rotation that we did. And so this was a this was a STEM like it was almost an outreach. So you were offering a STEM experience to um, the children at this school. Gotcha. So it was me and four other of my friends and we went down to Mexico and were in different stations. So we had an engineering station, an art station and a science station sort of blending the aspects of STEAM, as some may call it. Which, as a language arts teacher, my eyes roll a little bit anytime anytime I see STEM, and I'm like, it's all of it. It's all of it. Like, yeah, science, technology, but but don't leave the arts out of the equation Mm. for sure. So we sort of incorporated this with conveying ideals of the scientific method. So each station had a certain part of this such as with engineering we were problem solving so I had 
I don't know what step of the scientific method that was. No, but one's, no one's judging yes. me, I promise. <laughs> but I taught a course in programming through Minecraft, which was super fun, and the kids loved it because universally, kids love Minecraft. This is just how it is. And they used block programming on Scratch, which I think sometimes used in the middle school, and they made little Minecraft characters move around, which was an interesting way that translated through my language barrier with them because... So are they attempting to talk to you in English? They like were attempting their... to talk in me with in, in English, and I was attempting some Spanish. So I learned some Minecraft words in Spanish. But then my friend Kate, she was also in the engineering section. She taught robotic art with Lego Robotics. And they, the kids built their own Lego mount and marker mount and then drew different shapes with their... Is this Kate Miller? This is Kate Shout Miller. Out Kate Miller. Shout out to does, Kate Miller. She does this, the summer robotics program that my, my kids have enjoyed yes. uh, for several years. So. And she was sort of doing that summer program here in Mexico. So that was super cool. Why uh, why Mexico? Like, what was the impetus that you were like, we need to go there and, and do this there? Like, what was the... Well, Mexico, their scientific method and si- STEM classes are very much lacking, especially among in rural schools and it, among women. So the town where we went to is a pretty small town, um, a little north of Mexico City, about an hour or so. And we realized that in a lot of primary education, this STEM experience is lacking. So we went there to sort of both give them English experience and provide them with a passion for STEM and the scientific method. And I, I, I you know, there was a, a part of me I almost asked, I was like, so is this a cultural thing? Is there a reason, you know, but then I was like, nope, wait a minute. We, we have these same issues Absolutely. inside of our own culture. And, you know, we offer, um, um, and I don't, I, I can't think of the actual name, It's but it's STEM for girls at the middle school yes. level, just trying to empower and expose and, and, and encourage them that, you know, this is a safe space. You should feel confident and um, trying to overcome those same barriers that we have here, too. Yes, absolutely. It very much mirrors both just a universal issue that we are having. But it was a really great experience where my friends and I were able to spread what we love, which is STEM and creativity, to younger people across a different culture. And I, I'm, you, you also went to Japan. Yes. With the high school trip. And so same, similar situations with language barriers. And, oh, absolutely. And, and how, do you, how do you overcome those things and the willingness to sort of go and do something that can be really scary or that you may not be able to communicate or you know there's going to be failure? Like, how do you bring yourself to embrace those moments? Well, at first I was a little scared because I know even less Japanese than I do with Spanish. And, but I carried around a little card of little sayings. So like, arigato gonzaimasu, which is thank you very much. And so I just said that a lot and bowed a lot to different people. And everyone was so friendly. People in Japan are very, very kind to foreigners. Did you try any of the yeah, uh, like speech to like translator where you can talk into it and it will like, is that frowned upon or is that a... 
I think some people were using it. I didn't have data on my phone, so I wasn't doing that. But I know some people were doing the thing where you can scan on Google Translate and then it shows up in English. And that was something. <laughs> but we had a tour guide with us who spoke English and Japanese, so she was very helpful. And there were a lot of people who could just kind of figure out what we were saying by they saw this confused girl and we were like, I'm going to go help her. That happened many times to me, but I was very thankful for them. Are most people bilingual in Japan? There were people with some amount of English in there, but I, I found that even with people who don't speak English and I don't speak Japanese, they were able to just understand me through emotions and just like, hand gestures and they were like oh this is this yeah there's there's definitely something universal about expression and experience and i i mean and you said that with with the the uh, stem activity too that you know you really can bridge gaps and anytime i've ever gone abroad it just again it's another one of those lenses that you now get to look through and i I feel like we like to they and other people so much and then you go there and you're like oh they're just like i am They, they have the same wants, fears, loves, exactly um, humanizes everyone. Yes. So very much recommend travel if you can. Abs- I, I, I second that. It, um, just profoundly, and I was, I was there, I traveled uh, for six months while I was a student and just profoundly changed who I am. Um, I, have, I had uh, Bjorn on the uh, podcast oh, a yes. couple weeks ago, and he was headed off um, to New Zealand to, to work on a 9,000-acre sheep farm. And I, I, was, I was like, jealous a little bit because I know he's going to come back just a profoundly different person uh, from that experience cool so um, a a little bragging on you here so last year and I'm going to I'm going to read directly some of this because I want to get it right so last year you were one of 86 women to be named the Joyce Ivy Summer Scholars Cohort Uh, you were one of only 33 uh, in the state of Ohio and and on their website they describe it as the Joyce Ivy Foundation seeks to provide exposure and encouragement to young women who have the academic, intellectual, and leadership potential to attend the nation's most selective institutions of higher education. I mean, if you want something to be said about you, that's a pretty nice description there. Uh, that's that's amazing. And so because of this, you were part of a cohort that got to uh, take part in a summer intern program at Harvard, which um, I told my older son who thinks he's going to Harvard, and he was <laughs> uber jealous. Um, and so I'm, I'm just, I would love to hear about that. What was that like, and, and what was the opportunity, and maybe some takeaways that you had while, you, while uh, you were there? Well, first of all, the Joyce Ivy community is incredible. I very much recommend applying to it. If when some of you girls are in high school, it's just a very welcoming community that I continue to work with, even outside of this scholarship that I received to go to my summer program. I am an outreach fellow for them, so I work on the outreach endeavors, such as this giant gala that's held in Michigan, where everyone gets dressed up and talks about higher education and community, and it's just a really nice experience, and I've met so many great friends there. So that was, it's just amazing to know so many passionate young women in the Midwest who are interested in academics like I am. So I've loved that community so much. And then my summer program at Harvard was incredible. I now have friends from all over the world. Like one of my roommate there, she lives in Mumbai, India. 
and she's amazing, and I talk to her pretty much every day. Her name's Dia. Shout out to Dia if you're Shout listening. Shout out to Dia. <laughs> Do you, uh, like, th- is it Zoom or? Um... Through WhatsApp. Okay, WhatsApp. Yes. Yes, that's the more um, European, yes. global uh, I was trying to use messages, but she doesn't check messages. Yep. So we do that, but... There were people from all over the world in such crazy lifestyles. And I'm just like, oh, I'm from Ohio. But people thought that was cool, too. It's its, it's, its own unique, <laughs> it's cool own, thing, right? If you're not is, from Ohio, you're yes. like, oh, you're one of those. They were like, oh, okay. Like, my friend Vladdy from Bulgaria, he he's just like, oh, I'm from Bulgaria. And he's fancy. And I'm like, oh, I'm from Licking County, Ohio. But he was really interested in learning all about... Um, American culture and my perspective as um, an American, which was super neat. And through this program, I was also able to study cryptography with a Harvard professor, which was amazing. Was that a a choice or was that like a thing they offered or was that something you brought as an interest and they... So they have classes that you are supposed to sign up for. And I signed up for cryptography, which was one of the many, many classes that they had to offer. They had quantum computing. They had a chemistry thing, some international relations, literary film studies, gender studies. It was a whole bunch of things. And I met amazing people in my cryptography class, also from all over the world. And that my group chat of girls in that class still very active so it was just incredible i feel like you got a a little taste of that at al camp yes Um, oh absolutely and i i I try to get kids even onto denison's campus which it may sound funny but even living in a college campus there are a lot of kids who some haven't even been up on the denison's (laughs) campus but then most of them haven't been in the inside the buildings and and looked at like what does college life look like um, so I feel like that is an experience. And then, and what I hear over all the, the, the previous experience and, and just relationships, like, um, I can't stress that. And I try enough to my students of you're, you're navigating the next, well, I guess forever of your life, coming into contact with new people and you're building relationships and, and the ability to do that, like you said, with people all over the world and the country. And you never know how those, like, those relationships and those lives will weave back together. Absolutely. I cannot recommend college pre, pre-college programs more, even if it's things such as OwlCamp, because through these experiences, I am not nervous for college and being away from, well, as nervous for college and being away from my parents as some of my peers are because they've never been away from home from a long amount of time. But this is important to be able to make new friends and be uncomfortable, but in a good way. Yeah, and I think even as you go out and you experience these things, sometimes you come back. You, know, you might move back to Granville someday, but you do so with a confidence and an understanding of the world that you yes. wouldn't have had if you stayed here forever. Absolutely. For sure. Cool. So um, the next thing is all, uh, equally amazing as all the other things that we've talked about, but um, something that you did, but something that I did that I felt was really parallel. I, I created this um, class two years ago called the Experiential Learner Mastermind. And the, the idea behind it is that I just wanted to empower kids to believe that they can be change makers right now and that they should be really driving their own learning and passion. And as a district, we've now made a shift towards SDL and uh, self slash student directed learning. 
uh, really putting that up on a pedestal and embracing uh, how powerful that is. And I love that you you did this kind of on your own accord, like you had a, a, a journey of your own. And so there are so many students who, you know, they try to stay in the lines. They don't want to take risks. When things get hard, they kind of navigate away from that. And they're looking for a very clear trajectory and path of classes and grades. And I know exactly what I need to do. I love the fact that you you went outside the lines and you, you know, reached out and, and created your own journey uh, with ODOT. So I'd love to hear a, a little bit about that and a little bit of, you know, what motivated you to do that and, and um, maybe some advice for other people as they're uh, moving through the next four or five years of their life. Absolutely. I've found that in a lot of Granville classes and experience that I have been in, there have been these take action projects, which have really grown to be my favorite things that I've done in Granville. So through creating my ODOT Teen Council, this (laughs) came through some of these take action projects through the Columbus Council of World Affairs, which I completed the Global Scholars Diploma and Through that, I decided to host a sustainable and rural transportation symposium with nationwide leaders in transportation. I had someone from the nonprofit Transportation for America. He lives in Seattle. He was super cool. And then someone from ODOT, Rich Granger from Drive Ohio. And then I had Grace Hartshorn, former Granville student, who works at DHL, and then I had a traffic engineer who works on the Smart Columbus Grant. And so all of them were able to assemble through my little symposium, and they were able to talk about their expertise in transportation and share this with students. What but, um what class was the take action like that it, you said it origin did it originate with the take action or was this separate from Yes. That? So that was with the program that I'm in the with the Global Scholars Program. Gotcha. So that's through Granville, but it's also through the Columbus Council of World Affairs. Okay. So that facilitated a lot of the early brainstorming and my drive to com- complete it. What would the what would the global scholars like how do you like is that just something they'll hear about as they move into high yes. school? Like it's just saying You will hear about that in ninth and tenth grade. It's a super great experience where you learn about global cultures and then can affect change in your local community or your state community with the knowledge of the UN Sustainable Development Goals. So the goals that I was addressing were um, number 11 with industrial development and then transportation, which I'm not sure which one that is. Mm. But it was having that global mindset but thinking locally. That was a huge part in driving the initial start of my council. I love that idea in general of, I mean, you think globally, but you you enact change locally, right? And everybody doing that on a local level impacts a global change of some sort. Um, So, sorry, back to, so, so you, you, you were take, doing this as a take action to the global scholars and, and brought all these stakeholders together and on board, which, you know, all things aside, the pandemic was horrible, but I, I feel like it also catapulted us so far forward in our technology yes. and our ability to communicate. Zoom is um, a blessing. <laughs> how cool is that? Like, and I'm, I'm assuming the guy from Seattle, you yes. were able to, to zoom in. We, we just had a, um, we just had an interview today with um, Chris Eccles, who uh, is co-owner of Monte Cristo Holdings 
the fact that he could just zoom into my classroom and, and students could interact with him and ask him these really uh, high level questions is so amazing. So incredible. Yeah. And so shout out to, to Zoom and yes. the ability and, and empowering students to like, I tell them this, I'm like, man, you have something at your disposal because you were younger. And if you show initiative and reach out to people and just ask them to mentor you, ask them questions, and you can do that pretty safely and, and remotely now anywhere in the world with technology and Zoom, it's such a powerful resource. I found that people are so responsive to emails, even when it's just some random high schooler just emailing away, but people really want to talk about their expertise and to share with interested students, especially through technology. And Zoom is so accessible and it's easy for them to spend an hour of the day just talking to students. And, and it's I think you really hit beneficial. it. Yeah, you said it right when you say like they want to share, like they want to share a common interest. Yes. So if you show enthusiasm and you genuinely just want to hear about their 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 topic, their passion, they they will eat that up and yes. they will they will give you their ear and their time for sure. Mm-hmm. It's awesome. So tell me a little bit more about the actual um, collaboration you did with ODOT, which I think came out after what you were talking about with the symposium. I think it continued forward. Is yes. that right? Yes, I was. Initially interested in creating this teen council, but I found that ODOT was not responding to me at first very quickly. And due to the program, the Global Scholars Program deadlines, I needed to have something that was quick enough. So I did the symposium and then I spent this summer and early school year actually establishing the council. So, what was the so the teen council was you were going to literally bring bring stakeholders yes. like teenagers who are interested and have a yes and in, in together to like solve problems and too. it's been successful enough that I had forty applicants from all over the state. I'm now an intern with ODOT and they pay me, which is very cool. It's amazing, yes. right? Yeah, because you're doing real work. Yes, right. It's, I'm doing. I have a badge. I have a cubicle. Yeah. It's so great. (laughs) I I love the idea that it's, they're not doing you a favor. You're doing them a favor because you're doing real work and accessing a talent pool and a a brain power that is flexible and, and growth minded in a way because you guys are younger and you're not, you don't, you haven't been sort of placed inside the box of thinking. And so um, what a resource for them. That's so cool. My council provides a lot in ODOT's workforce development and greater outreach initiatives throughout the state by just making teens aware of what's going on in transportation. So I've been really impressed and thankful for the support that both the government has had for my ideas and the students as a whole. And I, those are my things that I hang my hat on as a teacher, and especially with this experiential learner class, when the student, the class ends, but the student carries it forward. Yes. So there are these artificial timelines in life, and I, I think that's true as an adult, and you move forward, and there are going to be times you, you know, the done is better than perfect sometimes. Um, but, but you know, when you carry it forward, it's, you know it, like, really mattered. And so I, I, I hear that in your story, and I hear that in my students' stories, and those are my real successes as an educator we, you know, we, we talk about lifelong learning as a district. That's, that's what it looks like in the real world. It's them continuing it forward because it mattered, not because they were trying to get a grade or they had to get it done by a deadline. Um, they knew it would have an actual impact. Yes. It's really powerful. Cool. So we're going to move into uh, a segment of the podcast where I ask the same questions um, of my guests. And these are much more geared towards uh, my middle school audience specifically uh, as they're navigating the next couple of years and looking forward, uh, helping them do that and kind of giving them some specific advice for that. Okay. 
All right, cool. So the first one is, as you look back as your middle school self, was there anything that you would have um, would have made made navigating middle school or high school a little bit easier? Anything that you can look back on and think maybe I would have done that different? I think knowing the importance of balance in extracurriculars would have made my life a lot easier because at first I was very much trying to do everything, which has value to it because I got to learn a lot of things and decide what I was interested in. But that also led to some stress in my life because I was involved in everything and also on top of that had to work on school. So learning the importance of balance and prioritizing both your mental health and your schoolwork um, is really important. I wonder I wonder how much though out of that came like your time management yes. because you had to and so as you yeah I bet you you know you just carried that forward That's even true. though it was stressful. Um, how do you manage stress like in that moment? So you talked about like it becomes really stressful. Were there any things you found to be successful uh, that middle schoolers could also try that helped alleviate that stress? I found that creative outlets are very helpful in alleviating stress. I like to sew, which is super fun. And it's those little methodical things that involve different parts of your brain, the more creative sides when you are more stuck in the mathematical ends of things. Those are really helpful. Yeah, and I I think... I think when you get into those moments and you can get lost in, in the methodicalness of it, it's yes. actually, it's freeing, but then it's also when really great ideas will come to fruition. Yes. Like these things will pop up in your brain. Um, my kids and I, we sort pennies, which they got that from their grandpa. Uh, it is, I, I never had heard of such a thing, but looking for wheats amongst all the other pennies and penny rolls, uh, it's much like putting a puzzle together yes. or something. Um, Chris Eccles, who was on our uh, interview earlier today, he was talking about just going on a long, like a long drive, and he puts on symphonic music, oh. and he said just that time, you know, of that music in my car, he said that these these amazing ideas will pop into my head, yes. and it's uh, this source of like stress release. So, um, great suggestion. Yeah, cool. All right, second question. So, um, what were some things from your middle school years that you didn't totally appreciate then? But looking back um, with, with the perspective you have now, you can say, like, you know what, those are actually either pretty great or, or at least pretty necessary. I think a lot of the homework, which I know that sounds like I'm just saying that, but learning to build those skills of time management and responsibility through my own work and actually caring about what I was doing really helped manage, helped me manage my time throughout high school because some of those deadlines in high school, they're super important, like research papers. And if you aren't starting incrementally, you are going to be slammed. So that gradual move towards higher workloads was actually pretty helpful. I, so so this is a hot topic, uh, homework. Oh, as, a, as an educator, I, I mean, I just I think about it a lot, and there's mm-hmm. lots of conversations about it. And um, as a district, I feel like we're I think we're progressing more away from you know getting away from just assigning homework yes. as homework. And so I wonder, can you can you add some perspective on like what what homework kind of felt valuable to you and what didn't? Because I think there is a a difference, and I I, I don't think it negates your point in needing to have work in your life and, and figuring out how to manage those things and meet deadlines. Um, but what kind of work do you think that should be or what, what what's good homework versus bad homework? I think the ones that feel meaningful, which 
I guess is sort of subjective, but I've had a lot of assignments over the years that are just very mindless Mm -hmm. and just busy work, which I've realized are not the most helpful in preparing myself for upcoming tests or just learning actual concepts. But then the homework such as reading or keeping on check with what your work is in class have been the most helpful. What what would you say makes something meaningful as homework? Like you were like, okay, as long as it's meaningful, like what, what creates work that you're doing that felt meaningful? And, and maybe if there's like an example of something that you were like, man, when I was doing this, and I, and I think in these moments you you hit flow, like you hit that state of, you know, an hour can go by and it didn't, it didn't feel like homework. It maybe didn't feel like you had to drag yourself to do it. Like what differentiates for you making something that feels meaningful? I think the term meaningful might be subjective for whoever is using it. But for me, I found that my most meaningful work has been where I'm actually learning the concepts and I'm more directing myself in that way. For my math homework, for example, in AP Calculus AB and AP Calculus BC, homework is not mandatory. It's only whatever you want to put into it. But I found that the more you put into it, the more you get out of it. Yeah, I, I like the I, I love that the homework I, I love the idea of homework being optional. Yes. And, and the fear is that and the reality is that some kids won't do it. Um, but when kids don't do it, if, if it if it was a value, then there should be, you know, a downstream impact on a, a test that they're taking yes. or or a project or concept that they can't do. And then unf- that failure moment is unfortunate. But then you get to have a real world conversation about, oh, it was because that thing you were doing was actually preparing for it. And so as an educator, I, I advocate and I hope we embrace more of, and, and again, it's that, that student autonomy and, and giving the kids the agency and control over, you're going to choose to do this. And if you don't, there's a consequence. And that's okay because a real world conversation will come out of it. And the real Absolutely. value is the soft skill that you learn. And it's learning that responsibility, which is great, which I've really appreciated that move in my math classes. All right, so is there anything as a middle school student that they should start doing now that would better prepare them to be where you are right now? I'd say loving what you are doing or trying to find things that you are really interested in, such as diving into Civil War concepts or literature or art, just finding things that you're passionate about and doing them even if they change in the future, I think really devoting yourself to things you love will benefit you in the future. Perfect. Any last thoughts? Anything we didn't cover or things that you want to project out to the the GMS student body? I don't think so. You don't think so? Well, I am so appreciative that you took the time. I know you're uh, as we just talked about, your life is incredibly busy and you're involved in a lot of things and there's a lot of exciting things happening. So um, I appreciate your, your wisdom and, and you got a lot of, uh, lot of uh, wisdom. You're, you're wise beyond your years. And I, <laughs> Thank I, you so much. You're so welcome. I, I look forward to hearing about uh, the next steps and, and where you land and end up and uh, the impact that I, I know you'll have on the world. Thank you. You're welcome.